You're listening to Citizen Reporter number 443 for the 10th of February, 2013, another in the series Arab Artists in a Revolution. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Citizen Reporter, the podcast that focuses on underreported news and global concerns. I'm your host, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, known in many parts of the internet as Bicycle Mark. This is another one from the Arab Artist series, but this is a very special one. As many of you will remember, just a few months ago, Christopher Lydon and I were in Egypt interviewing different artists, historians, and within that mix of people, we had the good fortune of being able to sit with Boutros Boutros Ghali. Now, you'll remember that name as the former Secretary General of the United Nations, also someone very well known in the world of international affairs and Egyptian politics. Unlike the other interviews that we did that you may have heard where we sit with someone and everything seems to go relatively smoothly, whether or not there are answers we expect or don't expect, the Boutros Boutros Ghali interview was a difficult one to say the least. Now, I enjoyed it very much, but I wanted to give a little commentary to go along with this interview. So I'm going to jump in at different moments. And the reason is because things change as we start to talk. And this is Christopher Lydon and myself. It's mostly Christopher who uh, was asking the questions, conducting the, the interview, of course, and I'm holding the microphone. But I also ask a few questions and, well... Let's start off at the beginning, and then I'll explain how things change, and you'll also notice as you listen. So to start with, uh, it went very smoothly. We're in the home of Boutros Boutros Ghali, along the Nile River in a high-rise apartment building. It's a beautiful living room. People are coming around to bring us tea as we talk. We're surrounded by old books, part of his, his vast collection, and also artifacts from the different trips he took in his long career. He's dressed in a suit. It's his birthday, his 90th birthday. And there we are in his living room. Uh, we've never met before. And we embark on this conversation that was supposed to be about Egypt today, Egypt in the past, the, the moments that he has lived, the people that he has known that had such an important role, both on the national stage and, of course, on the international stage. So it starts off in what may sound like a very routine way. We start to talk about Egypt and how it's seen around the world. Dr. Boutros, I have a question. First, happy birthday. Thank you. We remember you, of course, as the UN Secretary General in the 1990s, Bill Clinton years in the States, Balkan Wars. But just as important, you're a part of history for being at the right hand of Anwar Sadat in the making of peace with Israel in the 70s. I mean, it reminds me of sort of what, what was possible in Egyptian politics and statesmanship, perhaps, uh, without a democracy. What do you make of the new democratic Egypt and especially the foreign policy uh, and the place of Egypt in the world going forward. There exists a crisis in the foreign policy of Egypt, and this crisis is due before the, 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 the last year revolution for three reasons. The first one is 
the end of the process of decolonization with the decolonization of Namibia and later the decolonization of South Africa with Nelson Mandela. So during the last 50 years, Egypt was playing an essential role in the decolonization of the majority of the African countries. We receive arms from Czechoslovakia and Russia, and we distribute this arms to different movements of liberation. The second one is that the role of Egypt was based on the Cold War. We were able to play A against B, B against A, encouraging A, discouraging B. The Cold War is finished. So the role which was Egypt was playing as a leader of non-alignment with Nehru, Tito, there was no reason. We, we were able to offer to a young African country, one, military assistance, diplomatic assistance, and a map, a roads, which was on alignment. Now this is finished. Or put it in another way, Egypt was not able to find a new item, a new idea to hmm. obtain the support of the African country. I try to encourage uh, technical assistance, but we are limited. We, we send uh, 100 doctors in Africa, we, we train police, we train pilots in, uh, in Djibouti, in, uh, in uh, Lagos. Uh, we have played a role, but it was limited because we are limited, our possibilities are limited, and above all, all our energy was directed towards uh, Palestine. And this was at the expense of the real geographical problem of Egypt, which is a good relation with the country which share with us the Nile. We have been in Asia, they have been able to create an organization with the river, the Mekong. In, uh, in Europe, with the Danube, with the Rhine. Here we have not been able to do this. So we will have a problem of water in the next uh, few years because of the demographic explosion one million Egyptian more every year. And these are the, 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 the real problem of the foreign policy of Egypt. Now, we are in a period of crisis. We may add another element. Uh, there was in 1995, for the fifth anniversary of the uh, United Nations. I was in San Francisco, and then we learned that there was an, uh, an attempt to kill 
Mubarak in Ethiopia. Since this uh, uh, attempt, this assassination, he uh, refused to travel to Africa. Mm. So this is another element who complicates our role uh, in the countries of the third world. And finally, there is a kind of, let's say, traditional way during the French occupation, during the British occupation, during a kind of French-English occupation, French having the Suez Canal zone and the culture, the dean of the faculty of law was a French, the dean of the faculty of medicine was a British, the chief of the army was a British. So there was a division. So Egypt continued to look to the north, to Europe, France, Great Britain, the United States. And this at the expense of the south, which mm. is Africa, which is Asia, which is India, in spite of Bandung, in spite of non-alignment, in spite of a special relation between Egypt and India. So we still, the public opinion, the culture, everything, still continue to look at the North. Mm. And the North already is less important. The importance now, and it appears, is in the South, mm. is Brazil is India, is China, even Indonesia, not mentioning small country like Singapore or Doha. You haven't mentioned the United States. The United States belongs to the group of the North. And I, I agree with you that the United States will continue to play an important role in the next uh, 50 years. But it will not be the only superpower. Mm. And this is the difference. And again, I can give you another example. <clears throat> if we want to play a role in Africa, we have to coexist with France and Great Britain and in, in Angola and Mozambique with uh, Portugal. Mm. But tomorrow, if you want to exist in Africa, we will have to coexist with China and India. Mm. We know how to deal with uh, the United, uh, with uh, France, with Great Britain, with the United States, mm -hmm. because we have a tradition, but we, we, we don't know how to deal with uh, India or China or Japan. So here again, this is an additional complication for our role uh, in Africa. Mark in the present breaking in here. So as you can see, the interview, it would seem, is going quite well, and we're learning a lot of interesting things for those who don't remember the long history and changing history of Egypt on the international scene. Now comes a section that we were looking forward to and that you might expect, that we ask 
Dr. Boutros about the revolution and what's going on today. Now, remember, Dr. Boutros is a politician that isn't significant, if I can go that far, in the domestic scene. You know, the people on the streets aren't talking about, you know, Boutros, Boutros, golly these days. But he's, of course, someone that's very well respected, that has a lot of experience. So we were curious to ask about how he sees what's going on, what he would do. But these questions didn't turn out the way we expected. How do you like the new government? And what was your view of the revolution as it happened, as it unfolded? My dear, it is too early. Uh, ask me this question next year. Hmm. Because you cannot say uh, you like and you don't like. <laughs> they are just beginning. D tell me what you were thinking as you watched Tahrir Square. Nothing, because uh, I was a student at the faculty of law in, in the 1940, and we have uh, every... Uh, every month big revolution for, to obtain the departure of the British, to obtain uh, the independence, the re-independence of Egypt. So uh, for us it is a repetition. A group of uh, students or a group of... Here there was a big difference because the difference is, which nobody mentioned this, is that you have a problem 50 years ago with 20 million, and today you have the same problem with 80 million. <laughs> and tomorrow you will have the same problem with 100 million. So here you have a basic change, which is the demographic explosion what to do with this explosion. And the whole Egypt is only in 5% of the territory. 95% is a desert. Mm -hmm. The 80 million are concentrated in the Nile Valley only. So those are the real problem of Egypt. What to do with this demographic explosion? Mm -hmm. One, what to do with the problem of water? Two, Three, what to do with the problem of education? Still now 50% of the population are not able to read or to write. And I was I gave a lecture at the Faculty of Law last week. For me it was a disaster. The building, nothing was uh, clear. There was the end, I don't know, I was there for 30 years, professor. And I asked the dean, uh, young man. He said, yes, but when you was a student, you were 800 students hmm. at the faculty of law. Today? 35,000. Oh. Again, uh, I... I Per curiosity, I give lectures during the last two years at different universities out of Cairo. Mm -hmm. Zohag, Asyut, uh, Beni Suif, Fayoum, Porsaids, uh, Al-Arish, Alexandria. The level collapse of education, the level of uh, uh, 
formation of young students because of the number. We have not the fi financial possibility. You need new building. You need new, new library. You need new professors. Mm. You need professors who have not only have obtained their PhD from abroad, but spend at least one year abroad, or in France, or in Great Britain, or in the States, or in as visiting professor, as uh, students, as obtaining a, a PhD from an, a foreign university, or if they're obtaining a PhD from an Egyptian university, that's the, 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 the professor who are supervising the PhD thesis hmm. are coming from different other universities and not from the same university then you will find a place for the son of the dean and, uh, or the, the sister of, uh, I don't know, the professor and tell. So uh, the, whole, the whole teaching, I'm talking as a former professor, collapse. Mm. No relation with the revolution which happened last year. Yes. This is related to the demographic explosion. But let, and nobody mentioned this. Okay. If you see all the declaration which happened during the last 12 uh, months or 15 months, there is not a single declaration concerning the, the, the demographic problem. There is not a, a, a declaration concerning the problem of water. And those are the real problem of this country. Hmm. Well, let's talk about the democracy and the revolution. The people did change the government here as they'd never done before. And I wonder, uh, what does that mean for Egypt's role in the region? Well, who says it have not done before? It was done in 1952. But I'm, I'm simply wondering, um, when 80 million people feel their own power to manage the government and affect policy, or to choose the government and affect policy, um, what is possible and what is impossible? Could you have made peace with Israel in a democratic, open, robustly expressive Egypt? I don't know. What do you think? I'm not able to give you an answer. I don't know. Mark of the present breaking in again. At this point in the interview, we realize that he doesn't like and considers it a waste of, of time or energy to think or discuss theoretical situations. If you could talk to this person, if you could go back in time. He, Dr. Boutros, is much more about the present. And interestingly, he's about the big picture, which I found very fascinating. In this next section, a couple of things are happening. And one of them is a big critique of the media and the kinds of questions that the media asks, including us as these visiting journalists sitting next to him. And so I found that interesting, and also, again, the, the tone of, I'm not going to answer the theoretical questions, which became an ongoing issue. Especially, uh, let's be honest, uh, Chris Lydon, my dear friend, loves to ask these questions. If you're an author, he likes to ask you, if your character were here today, what would he say? And authors often like to think about it. And if you're someone with long experience, he likes to ask, what if that guy was here? But Dr. Boutros doesn't like these kind of questions. Nobody mentioned 
the apartheid system which exists today inside Israel, towards 20% of the population who are Palestinians. Yes. Nobody mentioned this. So again, I return, there is two kinds of attitudes. Certain problem which attract the international public opinion, who obtain the support of the United Nations or the support of the international community, and other problem who cannot obtain any, any reaction. I have lived the, the genocide in Rwanda. I have lived another genocide of the Hutu. Yes. Who were in the camp in Goma, trying to obtain uh, from 32 countries to send soldiers. They refused. And you have another genocide of the Hutu, who were killed by the Tutsi. There was a refugee of half a million, uh, more than half a million, hmm. in Goma. So again, in complete indifference. You have uh, people are killed every day in, in Somalia. There was a genocide in the south of Sudan, in Darfur. What is your point about Egypt's role in that, or Egypt's responsibility, or Egypt's opportunity? Certainly, it is uh, Egypt's responsibility exists, but uh, Egypt is not alone. There is the same indifference from the international community, hmm. from the state to Russia to uh, uh, Brazil to. I'm sure that if you will ask public opinion somewhere in Brazil. What is Darfur? They don't know. Like in the same case, if you ask what's what happened in uh, Brasilia, what is Brasilia, a new city, nobody knew here what is Brasilia. Mm. I, I want to say that there is two categories of conflicts, two categories of crises. The crisis which obtained the support of the international community, yes. the support of the United Nations, which will obtain a minimum of assistance, and the crisis which is completely indifferent mm. to the public opinion. Whose job is it to call, call everybody's attention to the real problems? and? Where does the media fit in? The media are responsible, the state are responsible, the public opinion is responsible. The state means. If a state is not interested, they will, they will not mention anything about this problem. No, do you know, to establish good relation with a country, it will take, and now I am talking as a, uh, as a technician, it will take a few years. Yeah. You have to send mission, you have to begin to teach the language, you have... Uh, do you know how many students learn Chinese in France? Je ne sais pas. 
50,000. Mm. There is not one Egyptian who learned Chinese in Egypt. How, um, ca how can you have political relation with China without having people who speak Chinese? Mm. How many Chinese learn French? Chinese don't know to speak French. French needs to speak uh, Chinese. <laughs> if, if, if Egypt were recasting its place in the region and the world, what, what, in, what, it should, be, what should it try for? Number one, an organization which will distribute, which will supervise the Nile River, electricity, navigation, distribution of water. Mm. This exists in the Mekong, this, this exists in different parts of the world. Mm. Otherwise, you will have problems which already exist. Mm -hmm. Then, what is our policy concerning the demographic explosion? What, what have we done concerning agriculture? to do agriculture of, um, uh, how do you say, vegetation who don't need water, too much water, mm. because we will not have enough water. We still are not aware, the Egyptian population, they believe that the Nile belongs to Egypt. Mm. You see, you can be a big country with a lot of possibility and not interested in foreign affairs. Yes. You can be a small country. Who is interested in foreign affairs? Take Cuba. Yes. Cuba have at a certain time 200 or 2,000 doctors in Africa. Yes. 25,000 soldiers. They was all knowing all the details. When I went to, to, to a summit meeting in, uh, in Addis Abeba, I received the ambassador of Yugoslavia. I said, but you are not a member of the Organization of African Unity. Hmm. What, what, why are you coming? Oh, Your Excellency, I just want to have certain information and may I mention to you, and I discover that he know the case which will be discussed there better than myself. Yugoslavia, which is now uh, four or five small countries. Mm. At a certain time, India, during the period of Nehru, was interested in foreign affairs. So, it is not important to be a big country. Mm. It is important to be interested in foreign affairs. Mm. After all, you have your president, Wilson, who created the League of Nations, but your Congress refused. Right. So again, it means it, it, it is to get involved in foreign affairs. And now I'm not talking about the globalization. When I say publicly, do you know that tomorrow the local problem of Egypt cannot be solved at the local level? but will be solved at the international level, they're very unhappy. Mm. What? Yes, your sovereignty don't exist. The sovereignty is a concept which exists since Westphalia, 300 years. Mm. 
the a concept which will change. What? Change? Yes, the state will continue to play a role in the next uh, 20 years, but it, it will be different. Mm. The real role will be given to the non-state actors. Mm. Which ones are you thinking? You can have an NGO, non-governmental organization, you can have a a, 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 I don't know, a, a big oil uh, corporation. You can have a kind of uh, church or religious movement. You can have uh, different uh, actors which are not the state. What would President Sada say about an Egypt which is 80 million people and they all feel entitled now to have some voice in Egypt's public life? I don't know. Take a guess. You knew him well. No, uh, yes, but I don't know. I don't know what would be his reaction. Hmm. Would he feel restricted or would he feel inspired, do you think? No, I believe this is a purely academic question which is useless. In your own mind? And unless you wanted to to publish something to put a few more lines in your paper. <laughs> I hate to answer to theoretical question when the reality is there and nobody mentioned what are the real problems. Look what happened. That if you are taking a subject which will not attract the population, mm. you will not find the reader. So they will not talk about it. They will not publish something concerning the demographic explosion. Because they don't know the, the, the solution. Because they know that people are indifferent. Because they know that this is not our problem today. We want to find bread for tomorrow. Right. And you're asking what will be the population. So then everybody will forget about this problem. Mark of the present, interrupting one last time. Uh, it becomes difficult here. The theme, which is interesting, but still hard to continue a discussion when the theme is failure. Uh, his own failures, his failures of the country. And you'll hear more of it as we go on. I try to jump in myself to have more of a conversation instead of being theoretical to just the same way I would talk to relatives or friends or you, the audience, to speak with Dr. Boutros in that same way to see how I could perhaps get him to, to just talk. If you were giving advice to, and I'm actually wondering who you would advise, but from a, a, an activist in Egypt, an Egyptian who cares about the Nile issue, who cares about population issues, I wonder what advice you have for them in order to be effective in this country now. My dear, I was minister for 20 years. And for 20 years I'm trying to say this without success. Mm. I failed. So if I failed during the last 20 years, I don't know why I will be uh, more successful with beginners who know nothing about our affairs. Who are beginners. We need years to learn how the technique is working of an administration. It sounds like it starts then with education, somewhere in what we are taught in school from the beginning. Okay, the education collapsed completely. At the primary, at the secondary, again, because 
of the demographic explosion. There is no place to, to, to find all for the young pupils. So, I mean, if, if I was an Egyptian and I had a political party, I would make, I would start with education, I think. From what I hear from you, and because of the crisis, a movement to rebuild the schools, to deal with the current population, and with the more important issues. I understand the difficulty of it, but I think from hearing your words, that's where I would want to start. I don't believe because if you are poor and at the end of the day don't know enough money to bring food to your family, you will not discuss about the population, about the water, about anything. For you, what is important is how to find the bread for your wife, for your children, finished. Don't ask me to get involved in an affair. I can make a protest in the street, I can shout, okay. This helped me to overcome my frustrations, but I'm not able to contribute a real contribution to serious problems. Dr. Boutros, if President Morsi called you tomorrow and said, we need a project for this new democratic Egypt, give us a project in the region, at home, in the world, in Syria, in Palestine, you name it, uh, what would you urge him to do? I will not answer to your question again. It is a theoretical one. No, no, no. I want you to tell him that... No. Do something he, about... We, I'm sorry. If he will call me, then I will give an answer. <laughs> but now to answer for what? For us. No, I'm sorry. But it means it's a zero who I mentioned. I have not the support of a party. I have not the support of the public opinion. I have not the support... Yes, from time to time you read, but it is not a priority. The priority is what you came to begin with, is ask me what is going on in Gaza. And you are right, as a good journalist, your reader will be interested to know what happened in Gaza, and are not interested at all with the problem of water in the next few years. Mm -hmm. or with the three dams the Ethiopians are constructing on the Blue Nile. Egypt will not do it, because Egypt wants money for, their, for food, wants money for, for the gas, uh, uh, for the electricity of the country. There is other priorities which are related to its daily problems. You see, tourism was bring you billions of dollars. The money of the worker working abroad, Egyptian worker, give you again billion of do dollars. You never receive any more this money. There is no more tourism. Worker abroad will keep their money abroad. They don't know what may happen here. You make the democratic revolution sound almost irrelevant or unimportant? No, I don't make it unimportant. I make it until now, it have not tackled with the real problem. When 50% of the population is illiterate, mm. when 50% of the population live with a dollar a day, I don't know what, I have no exact figure. Mm. Don't ask them. 
to think about the, the problem of electricity tomorrow or the problem of water. No. For them, is what is important is how to find enough money to bring bread or food at home. So don't ask the public opinion. Again, and then you will say, what about the elites? The elites are thinking about how to take power, how to reassure their power. Okay, this time, really the last interruption. I really started to enjoy this interview not just for the information, but also for the challenge to find a question that the good doctor would enjoy uh, and would perhaps find interesting to answer, because I, I can understand being tired of certain questions or not willing. So I decided to give it one more try, and this time to talk about something close to my heart and something that I've watched around the world, uh, people's behavior in, in recent events in the United States. And I found it interesting, and actually... I, Again, maybe it's just how I remember it, but this question got a smile out of him and uh, actually led to us having a nice conversation after, uh, as, as we spent the last few minutes in his house. I was thinking of what you were saying about if you don't have bread to eat, all these other problems are not important. And by the time they become important, it's too late. That much I've learned today. And I'm thinking, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, coastal city near near a uh, coastal state near New York and it's the kind of place where people would say exactly that don't bother me about climate don't bother me about even conflicts anywhere in the world including Israel actually because I'm busy I can I have to pay the bills my children oh and then something happened this summer one of those moments huh the hur a hurricane hit and all of a sudden for one week for more than one week, people didn't have electricity. Now, of course, there are places in the world where people don't have electricity all year round, but for the New Jerseyan, who is relatively wealthy in the world scale, this was a nightmare. It made them question how they live, or at least how they will live in the future. All of a sudden, the conversations among my friends who don't care about these issues was, how can I have solar power? What are we doing with electricity? How is it generated? And what about climate change? The oceans are rising. I saw them. They were coming down the street. For a moment this summer, and maybe longer, we don't know. I can hear you saying it won't last. But for a moment, everybody had no choice but to care about environment, about energy production, consumption. And it's these kind of moments that could actually fuel change, a better future. Yes, I agree. But when this will happen, it will be too late. You see, the problem is that unless you begin by taking your precaution from now, because it will take you years, it is a new education, a new way to live. It, is not, it may take even a generation. So the sooner you will begin to do it, to change the regime of teaching, you cannot. It's, it's shock therapy. Exactly, yeah. you cannot. So again, I agree with you, but the problem is, and, I, and this is the fact that in the States, they are able to cope with the new technological revolution 
are. Yes. Again, you have another example which is very interesting. Mr. Kissinger is a German. He is admitted like an American in one generation. Mrs. Albright is Minister of Foreign Affairs and she was born in Czechoslovakia or other. This will not happen here. Here you have Nubar, they say the Armenian. Wait a minute. Soliman Pasha, he was a French, the chief of the Egyptian army, who become Muslim. It was a hundred percent Egyptian. They still call him the French. So here again you have an open society and a closed society. The open society have this capacity to absorb new interesting elements. Closed society are not able to do this. We react in a negative way. And the technical revolution is based on an open society. Yeah, we, we live in a time where I used to think of cars, you know, people drive cars and I, I like to romanticize the past and people knew how the car worked and how it has changed life when it first came. And after a while, decades, people drive a car, they don't know how it works, they don't think about how it's changed life, they just use it. And maybe that's a problem. I see technology, I know how technology works, I can take this apart. I find that it's good to know this, to understand how this is impacting my life, what it can be used for, the problems. But I find the technological revolution has a lot of people using things without understanding the effects. And the technical revolution is a continuous revolution. Mm. You see, the fact that the book in the next 20 years will never exist anymore. This, this room would not be as beautiful. I know. <laughs> you have, I don't know, machines everywhere. <laughs> Dr. Boutros, Your Excellency, thank you enormously for this view, this view of the Nile and this view of the world. It's a great privilege to meet you and to have this conversation. Thank you. And you see that you mentioned the Nile. For me, the Nile is a god, like the Egyptian or the Egyptian. <laughs> Some final notes on today's podcast. Uh, first of all, it's always the extra stuff that happens, the when the microphones are off that can be so interesting and add so much to the actual conversation and, and what is learned. Because this interview, as I said, was a little bit difficult. But then afterwards, I went out on the balcony to look at the Nile, take some pictures, and Dr. Boutros followed me. Uh, I almost didn't notice. And then he started pointing out things about the Nile, about different parts of it where we were looking. And it was really pleasant. It was nice, like I had made a new friend. And uh, you don't always get that from these interviews. That's what I don't like about uh, just pure interviews, especially ones that are edited. You you lose a lot of the, the human aspects that are not always perfect and not always, I don't know, pleasant. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this sort of 
dissection insider look at our conversation with Boutros Boutros Ghali that in its entirety has never been published, uh, but I wanted to publish it here on citizenreporter.org. That's the website where you go for more content from this trip and other journeys. I've organized them now under the journey section on citizenreporter.org. You can also click on the donate button using either PayPal or Flatter, which is a great system for even choosing to give a monthly donation of whatever it is that you want to and can afford. So go to the website for more content, to help out, to leave a comment. It's all appreciated. And for my part, I'll be back again next week with another edition of this fine program. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate all the feedback and the kind words. And uh, the unkind words are fine as well. Catch you next week. Goodbye. See ya. Stars fall into the ocean side Someone pull the ribbons from my eyes Free my soul Let it roll